Have you enjoyed worshiping the Lord this morning? Amen. Have you enjoyed worshiping the Lord this morning? Amen. <laughs> so good. Uh, man, I'm excited to be here with you guys. My wife and I had a great weekend uh, last week with the girls last week. And so uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Barry uh, for what a wonderful message. If you weren't here last week, you missed an incredible message. And so uh, I'm thankful for the men of God that he has placed at this church uh, to be able to do that. Uh, also, uh, this is September 11th. How many of you remember where you were uh, 21 years ago when this craziness began to take place? Um, it, it's interesting to me, and I was kind of reflecting on this this morning as I was driving in, and I was thinking, you know, I don't know if you remember, but uh, when all this took place, uh, people flocked to the church. You remember this? Every billboard was, God, rescue us, save our country, uh, take care of us. And it's interesting because when you think about it from 20 years later, 21 years later, it's not that way anymore. And so many things have taken place that could draw us back to who God is and towards repentance. But it's, it's amazing the shift that's taken place. Uh, these effects uh, still have effects on individuals that were uh, there or new people that were there. And so uh, we, we just continue to lift those up in prayer. Uh, this morning, uh, I just have a standalone message with you. Uh, maybe it's because I'm refreshed off of a little vacation or uh, not into another sermon series just yet. Uh, but how many of you remember growing up and and wanting to be the best at everything that you did? Does anybody remember that? Does anybody play sports and said, you know what, as long as I'm like on the team, I'm okay? Anybody? Um, for me, I grew up in a very competitive household, and we constantly uh, worked hard, and so every situation that I was ever in, as soon as I made a team, I immediately thought, okay, I need to beat that person to be the best. Anybody like that? No, I'm standing alone at this point. Okay, a few of you, good, good. A few competitive ones. How many of you are still that way? Listen, I hate to lose at anything. It doesn't matter if you come up and say, hey, pastor, can we play paper, rock, scissors? I want to own you. I mean, that, that's just how I am wired and how I am designed. Listen, if you take off faster at a stoplight, I go faster. I don't know what it is that is in me, but I just... I love to win. Listen, when we played um, old man co-ed basketball, it was all that I could not to take somebody's legs out to win. I mean, that, that's just, anybody with me? I mean, I love to win. Even if it means you lose, I still love to win. I don't know what that is. Uh, but how many of you have a quote that you hold on to of being the best of the best? Does anybody, I mean, just... Does something come to your mind? Um, forgive me for the ungodliness of the quote that I'm about to share. Uh, now you're intrigued, right? Uh, the great wrestler, Ric Flair. <sighs> I knew it was going to go there, and I still did it. He, <laughs> he had a, a quote that would go with him that he said, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Anybody remember this? And listen, this was like my mantra. This was my phrase. And I looked at my brother over and over. Our security team just gave me the nod that I'm going in the right direction. That's good. Uh, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Now listen, to be the best of the best, you have to win. You have to beat everybody else. And so I want you to think this morning, who are some of the best, some, the term that we use is the goat now, the greatest of all time. Some of you have heard the goat and looked for a goat and you just understood that it was 
the greatest of all time. But here's some of the goats. Now listen, if you want to debate these after church, feel free to set up an appointment, take me to lunch, and we can debate these. Uh, these are all fair game uh, to talk through, uh, but these are some of the ones that I came up with. In the NFL, one of the goats is Tom Brady. I mean... <laughs> We're not debating in church, we'll debate afterwards, okay? Um, listen, the next one is hard for me because I don't necessarily feel this way all the time, but when you think about the NBA, you automatically think of Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> You'll agree to that one? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll send out polls for my sermon next week and see <laughs> which direction to go, right? In the NHL, you think of this guy, Wayne Gretzky. Man, one of the greats, one of the best. When you think of soccer, this is the one, Lionel Messi. I mean, this is, nobody cares about soccer? Okay, moving on. I'm just when you think about golf, Stuart, that was in there specifically for you. Oh, it's wrong? Are you a Rooney guy? All right, we'll debate later. Um, when it comes to golf, Jack Nicklaus, some would say Tiger Woods. Listen, we debate these things all over the place. For tennis, it may be Serena Williams. How many of you watch? <laughs> you guys have me thrown for a complete loop this morning. Uh, my wife and I actually, when we were uh, in Jacksonville last weekend, watched her last match uh, with our girls because it was a significant thing. Uh, but how do you define who is the best? Who is going to be the best? A lot of times it's done by performance, uh, their impact, their commitment, their accomplishment. But all of this comes into play of how you are to be the best. Now, I, I want you to think, when you think about being the best, some of it has natural talent, but most of it has working hard and taking opportunities, using your God-given talent. It's interesting that I look back over my life, and as a kid, I wanted to be in the NBA, and then I realized, I know, nobody shattered my dreams though. Everybody said, Jeff, you can do it. Jeff, you can do it. Jeff, you can do it. Jeff, you're only five foot ten. And you're a little chunky. The, not many of those guys in the NBA, right? And I, I think about it and I, I wanted to do this. And my whole goal as a freshman in high school was just to be able to dunk. Not a donut, a basketball, okay? And so I would work hard and I would jump and I would just one time in my whole entire life, and it was probably a rim that was two inches short, I grabbed the rim. And I thought, here it comes. Next step, I'm going to dunk. And you know what? I still have never dunked a basketball on a 10-foot goal to this day. So hard work, talent, some of those things that come in. Uh, but this morning, the reason I wanted to do a standalone message, how many of you have seen the Pooler Magazine? Anybody read this? Anybody watch this? If you turn to page 20 and 21, um, and it'll come up on the screens right here behind us, uh, our church was voted. The best place to worship in Pooler. Now, listen, I'm, I'm honored by this, and I know that you guys are, and I'm excited by this. And so for, for those of you that haven't picked up one of these magazines, this is a high honor for us because we were voted the best church for us because we were voted. Now, but think about this. I don't want this message to turn into the Ric Flair quote where we call out all the other churches and talk about how not great that they are. No, that's not what the purpose of this message is. 
But the purpose of this message is, is to go, man, God has given us this great honor of being voted the best church in Pula. Amen? Now, how many of you believe that? Amen. Okay, good. So at this time, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Go ahead, stand up. It's the middle of the message. I get it. Well, really the first 10 minutes. Give a high five to somebody that's around you and tell them congratulations. Okay, that's enough, that's enough. Sit down, we're going to preach now, okay? (laughs) Now, how many of you feel like you have accomplished something? You are now voted as the best of the best in the city of Pooler as a church, amen? Now, listen, this comes with a great responsibility. And so, as I was putting this message together, uh, I started to try to really understand what does it mean to be the best church, Now, it's interesting that we take this as an elder team and as deacons, and we look at this, we try to roadmap our church and put ourselves in the right position to grow and to know the Word of God and to really be the best church in Pooler, but it's really weird to get an accolade, and it's really kind of honoring and humbling for us to be in this. And so I want us to kind of focus in a little bit and to say, here's what it looks like for us to be the best church there's some qualities that we have to continue to maintain. And I, I think about this, and if you're not a Georgia fan, uh, this may not resonate, but um, sorry. Uh, it, it, it's amazing to me because if you follow Georgia football, you follow that everybody is going, oh, they'll never win two championships in a row. And Kirby Smart came up with this phrase that we're not going to use in the church, uh, but he said, I don't want to be the hunted, I want to be the one that's hunting. And I think, man, what an, a great understanding for us as a church that we would not be complacent, that we wouldn't just be comfortable, that we wouldn't just go, hey, remember that one time 50 years ago when we were voted the best church in Pooler? But that we would look and say, remember that time that we were honored and it spurred us and it moved us in a direction that we wanted to maintain it and we wanted to be the best of what we could possibly be for the Lord. Now think about that. I think about the motivation. And listen, I've had some great coach speeches over the years given to me. I've delivered some pretty good ones uh, from my perspective. Uh, But it's one of those things where you just, man, as a church, don't get complacent. Our society tells us, don't worry about being the best. Everybody's equal now. I tell you, God's desire is not for you to be complacent or to be content. It is the desire of God that you would work diligently to continually please and honor him. And so as we walk through this, and I know that um, I I, I debated even telling you, uh, but this is the top 10 qualities of the best church, and I promise you I'll preach them quick. We'll be done no later than 1.30, okay? Um, You're not as excited about that? Okay, good. Cool, good. Best church. The best churches treasure and teach God's word of truth accurately and practically to equip the saints for the work of service. Listen, 2 Timothy 3.16 says these words, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man, of God may, uh, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, I, I want you to hold me accountable on something. If I ever preach a message that doesn't have this involved, you need to fire me. Amen. Okay? 
the only reason that I get to stand up here is not because of how great of an individual that Jeff Hubbard is. It is because of how wonderful Scripture is. This is the truth. This is what we continually hold to. Now listen, in many ways, Scripture is being attacked over and over and over in our community and saying, really, does Scripture say that? Do we really have to hold to that part of Scripture? It's antiquated. It's not relevant. It's not something that we should hold to anymore. And I tell you emphatically, we hold to this wholeheartedly. If this goes against your opinion, this is right. This is always right. Look, so many times we try to... Uh, twist scripture to adopt our lives or to make sure that our preferences are, are held in high regard. Listen, my preferences and your preferences are nothing compared to scripture. This is what we hold to. So for, if we're going to be the best church in this community, we're going to have to take scripture very seriously. And when we come to a scripture that challenges us to live in a different fashion, in a different way, we have to hold to this scripture and change our life, not change the scripture that's before us. Second thing, and I'll move quick. The best church is where the gospel is proclaimed without compromise. I love this understanding in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 when Paul is speaking on behalf of this exact same subject saying, listen, I want you to understand as an individual, as a person, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can you just let that resonate in your hearts? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Catch that. The gospel is a powerful tool, a powerful understanding for all of those that believe in him. And he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. One of the things that we need to make sure that we do not change is that we boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. In a world that tells you, don't say his name. He's not truthful. He may not be accurate. He may not be this. Our response to that is that we are not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Listen, there are so many things in our life that we can be ashamed of. So many things. But Jesus is not one of them. We can boldly proclaim him over and over. And so to understand this this caveat and this understanding is that we will continually proclaim Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for our sins. Amen? For us to be the best and understand this, we have to boldly proclaim this. I love the understanding of what's said here. He says, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for your sins. And if you place your faith in him, you will be saved catch that. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you don't know what it means to place your faith and trust in him, I promise you, he is not looking at you and measuring the sins that you've committed. He is looking at you and saying, will you submit and follow me? Third thing that we need to address, the best churches emphasize loving God and one another and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Catch this. The best churches love each other and love the world that's around them. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 39, this question is posed to him and he responds in this way. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about this. Because we need to understand what it means to genuinely love. The definition is defined by Jesus Christ, and Dr. Rainwater's taught this to me for many, many years, that Jesus defined this by dying on the cross for your sins because he put your needs above his own. Imagine this. That's what it means for us to genuinely love. If I'm going to love my wife, if I'm going to love my kids, if I'm going to love the church and love the people that are involved in it, it have to be is that I have to put their needs above my own. Now look, this is tough, amen? Because sometimes people don't deserve love, right? And why am I supposed to love my neighbor? Now, we did this in a different way, so we moved to where we don't have neighbors, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. But the reality is that we have to genuinely love God with our whole hearts and love others. I think about the reputation of this church, and I think about the reputation that you carry in this community. And one of the things that I am thankful for is that over the past 11 years, there has never been a scandal within this church. There's never been a time where people in this church hated each other within this church. And look, I'm not saying that it will never take place or it will never happen. But I tell you this, Satan can attack very quickly. If you do not love the Lord and if you don't love others the way that he has loved you. So I tell you, be cautious on this. We should always be the people that love God and love other people. And I hope that that's the reputation that got us voted into this. Fourth, the best churches emphasize making obedient disciples who live by God's grace and the power of the Spirit apart from legalism. Listen, let me address something here very, very quickly. Legalism, for those that don't understand and don't really know and maybe haven't grown up in the church, but legalism is defined this way. Adding man-made rules over petty issues and judging others based on whether or not they keep those rules. Listen, Jesus spoke against this. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, Paul addresses this. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Catch that. Salvation is not just limited to those that are sitting in this room. Do we understand that? Salvation is for everyone. It is not limited to. Now listen, sometimes in the church we say, well, salvation is only offered to people that look like me, act like me, or are the same social climate that I am, are in the same financial status. But listen, scripture tells us the exact opposite. He says, training us. Now understand, he said, this is the training that we need to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawless, lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works." He tells us that we are to be obedient to his scriptures, that that is the measure. Listen, I can tell you that all bald people are godly individuals. Amen? 
all the bald people just like puffed out their chest right there. All seven of us. But that's not in the Word of God. And I can tell you that shaving your head is the cleanest way that you can keep your head clean. Do you know that I've never had lice as a bald guy? Look, these are crazy things for us to genuinely understand. But if it's not in Scripture, it is not the standard. Amen? Amen. So as silly as it would be to try to profoundly preach something like that, and I know that's odd, but we do this in many ways. The next thing is this. The best church is where loving fellowship and loving fellowship among the saints is edifying and healthy. Look, that when we gather together, He tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together. You know what's crazy? If you look around this room, you see a lot of different personalities. You see a lot of different people. Amen? Some of them you don't know. Some of them you don't want to know. Some of them you don't like. Do you know what the one thing that holds us all together Christ tells us from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Listen, make it a priority to fellowship regularly with your church and love these people. Enjoy being with these people. Next is this, the best church practices the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper regularly. Listen, these are the things that are mandated to us that we should continually hold on to them. The reason that we do baptism is that this is a public profession of your faith. This is going public, telling everybody that's within your church family, I am a follower of Christ and I am wanting you to hold me accountable. The reason that we do the Lord's Supper on a regular basis is that it is a humbling reminder of what Christ has done for us. I don't know about you, but every time I take the Lord's Supper, it's a fitting reminder to say, thank you, God. And it almost redirects my heart to say, man, I want to live up to that standard. I want to be pure. I want to be in the right mind, and I want to live for Christ. The next thing, the church, the best church, prays continually. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Listen, this should be something that is near and dear and close to our heart. And it was kind of fun this morning, and I don't mean to embarrass them, but I was uh, on my knees uh, praying for this sermon and praying to just kind of cleanse my heart and cleanse my mind and make sure that I was in the right place to preach this. And Pat and Alicia walked in with a bunch of youth things. And they're like, oh my goodness. And Pat says, well, can I pray with you? (laughs) Yes. So this morning we got to pray together just as individuals seeking to honor and glorify the Lord this morning. Listen, it should not be uncomfortable for us to pray together as a church. And when somebody's going through something, I pray for them right there. Listen, this morning, Tiffany Hall went to the hospital. She had her appendix removed. All this done by 9 o'clock. I tried to call and pray with her uh, just to let her know that I was praying with her, but I called John Hall just to pray with him. Man, listen, this is our responsibility is to put these things as a matter of prayer. 
we should be praying together constantly. Next, the best church emphasizes reaching the lost locally and globally. Luke chapter 24 verse 47 says, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. One of the things that's began to set in within our community and within our culture as a church, and I don't know, maybe it was on the verge of this before COVID, but one of the things that we neglect to do on a regular basis is to tell people about the saving knowledge of Christ. I want you to think, just honestly, when was the last time that you shared the gospel message with somebody else? A day? A week? A month? Years? One of our commands is to continually tell people about Christ. And the church has gotten silent on this. Look, when we see people going through something that's difficult, when we see people going through horrible times, we should come to them, or even when they're rejoicing, and you say, man, your, your, your life is kind of getting off track, we should tell them about Jesus Christ. The best church has leaders who are mature, godly men of integrity. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I tell you this, that God has given us some great godly leadership within this church. And I tell you that our hope and our prayer is that we have so many godly leaders to pick from. But the reality is, not many people desire to be men of God anymore. And I tell you that a church that, that is going to be the best church is continually training and equipping those individuals to be mature believers. Last one is this, the best church is one that deals lovingly and biblically with sinning members. Look, this is something that is so counterculture in our world right now. Nobody wants to be told that anything of their life is wrong. And look, it's tough for me the same way that it is tough for anybody else. But Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17 tells us how we should go about this but it also gives the understanding that we are continually dealing with this. In verse 15, it says, If your brothers sin against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. It's interesting because this is typically how the scenario works. Can you believe he did this? <laughs> He's a jerk. I I'm just, I'm, I'm disgusted with him. I'm going to sit on the other side of the church from him. You know, it's crazy. Scripture does not tell you to deal with it that way. Scripture tells you, and listen, this is tough because we are a non-confrontational society anymore. We are so worried about offense. I'll tell you this. If you go to that individual alone, say, hey, I love you. I know you probably didn't mean to, but this offended me greatly. 
Imagine the resolution that would take place continually. Look, the reality is that we would be more uh, just individuals who genuinely love the Lord, but the reality is we approach this differently. Listen to what he says. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. I always think about this because it always says he, and I wish that was a different pronoun (laughs) where it was inclusive to all of us, but we know as men we're mostly wrong. Amen? He said, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Listen, to understand a Gentile and a tax collector, they're not great people. They're people that are on the outskirts. I tell you, this is a genuine, dangerous path to navigate. But I tell you, when church leaders, elders and deacons and staff come to you and say, hey, we have an issue. Listen, let scripture work. For far too long we have identified and said, we'll just be comfortable within our sin." God is saying, I'm sending you individuals who love you, that care about you, and can help you through this. And I'll tell you, in the next 10 years, this is probably going to get even more tough because nobody in our world, one of the things that I've learned about riding along with our Pooler police officers is that nobody ever does anything wrong. It's crazy. The police officer was just sitting there waiting and surely he or she did something wrong to pull you over. Look, it's interesting that I was actually not speeding coming to work this morning. I saw two Bloomingdale police officers. I was like, man, God, you are really good at this. Just singing and worshiping the Lord as I was coming in. Nobody in our world wants to be told that they're wrong. But I tell you, spiritual maturity won't take place until we accept the constructive criticism of Scripture. We have to bend our lifestyle to Scriptures. So let me give you a final challenge. If you want to be the best at this, if you want to grow in this, let me offer you two really good books. Mark Dever has a book called What is a Healthy Church? And in this book, it defines and labels a lot of the understanding of what we talked about this morning. Another book uh, by an author that's kind of come off the rails a little bit, but this book was really good. It's called Stop Dating the Church. It's interesting that our, our mindset now has been that, that the church is something that we date, something that we're not committed to, something that we don't hold in the highest regard. And he talks about stop dating the church. So let me ask you a few questions in conclusion here. Questions that you continually need to ask about your church. First one is this, would I want to find a spouse who has been brought up under this church's teaching? Catch that. The reason that we at Pooler Bible Church invest so much into our children's ministry 
is that these individuals are going to grow up and be the next generation of believers that represent this church, represent Christ, and represent this community. And this always kind of holds to my heart because I'm raising two daughters. I'm genuinely, constantly in prayer going, God, please put godly men in their life. Because as much as I don't want them to get married and stay at home for the rest of their lives, they need godly men to marry. So the reason that we do this, the reason that we pour into this is for this purpose. But I would tell you, if you can't answer that question, if you can answer it in a no, if not, then the next question is, how can I help? Second question is, what picture of of, of Christianity will my children see in this church? Something distinct or something that looks a lot like the world? Tell you that there's a a movement within church and within this, this, this element that says, let the church look as much as it possibly can like the world. And I tell you, that is not the correct approach. The approach is that the church would look as much like Christ as it possibly should. So when we go into this, we want our kids to understand that the church is something that reflects the image of Christ, not the world. I used to say this statement years ago. It's something that's kind of still in the back of my mind. For a really long time, culture has shaped how the church should look. And I would tell you that my desire as your pastor, as a man of God, is that our church would shape how our culture looks think about all the problems that would be fixed with that. Next one is this. Would I be happy to invite non-Christians to the... They clearly hear the gospel and see lives consistent with it. Look, when you measure our church as being the best church or being a church that reflects this, this is something that should be answered yes continually. Fourth question. Is this a church where I can minister and serve? The difference in dating a church and being a member and investing fully in a church is that you as the ecclesia, the called out body of believers, begin to take on the responsibilities of the church. Do you know that over the past 20 years, the deficit of volunteers that serve in a church is so vast. And you can look at statistics. People used to build their life around serving in the church. I remember when I was a kid, there were people that just held doors open for their whole lifetime and just welcomed people in. And they did not miss. I remember when they passed away, you know who held the door? Nobody. Nobody steps into the roles that are left behind anymore. They just leave them as if they should never take place. So let me close with a personal touch, personal understanding. One of the things that was taught to me as a kid was to be the best at everything that I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 26 through 31. And I'll close with this. Because this is how I genuinely strive to live my life. 
says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are, are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Not for the sake of you, but for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why would my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience? Catch that. For if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that which I give thanks. The verse that has always been on my heart and the verse that I've always held to and the verse that I've always strived to create a church environment that reflects this. So whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. Give no offense to Jews, to Greeks, or to the church of God. Look, it's time for us to just kind of stop the casual relationship that we have with the church. And it's time to genuinely invest. It's time for you to become a part of the church family. It's time for you to begin to look at the church as if it's the place that you don't want to miss. As if it's the place that you don't want to miss serving. As if it's the best place that's in this community. I think so much has changed where we'll go to church if we're home or we'll go to church if, if, if time allows or if we wake up without our alarm clock or if, or if, or if, or if. Listen, if we're gonna be the best to bring glory and honor to the Lord, this has to be a priority because we as a church and a congregation can reach this city. And until our church holds Twenty-five to 30,000 people were not done. Look, it would be very easy to get content in the size and scope of our church. It's a very healthy congregation. Financially, you guys are great givers. But all of that means nothing if we don't reach our community. We've got to get to a place that our hearts are burdened and just continually tormented until the people that we know know Christ. When we begin to see people like Christ does and love them and care about them extravagantly, you know what's unique in our society? People that love you regardless of who you are. And it's easy to love people that benefit you the most. It's easy to surround yourself with people that are driven and going in direction and people of influence and where you want to be. But it's tough to show the love of Christ to people that you may not even like. And you know what portrays the image and likeness of Christ, his love that has no strings attached and his love that doesn't matter who you're talking to. So I challenge you this morning, 
in a world where people don't care about being the best anymore, will you take on the challenge, the responsibility of continually striving to be the best church that this city has ever seen? If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. As I read through this article, I think, man, God's called me to do this and I've spent the last 11 to 12 years of my life, almost 18 years in ministry. Man, there has never been a time in my ministry that I have seen the community and the world that's around me in more need for the love of Christ. But it also burdens me because with each passing year that I grow, I see less and less people with a burden to reach the city that they're involved in. My challenge, my hope is that you would begin to do the work that God has placed on your life. There is one of your coworkers, one of your family members, one of your neighbors that needs to hear about the saving knowledge of Christ. And you need to be the one to tell them. For some, you've been living this kind of half-in, half-out life with your relationship with Christ. I'll live for Christ and do the things that are easy for me, but the hard things, God's just going to have to understand about me. I would tell you, the people that you're around see whether or not you genuinely love Christ. And they're either drawn to it or they're repelled by it. I tell you, now is the time for us as a church to seek out the lost, to seek out this community, and to reach them with the gospel message. Look, if I'm honest, I don't really like accolades because the verse that I've adopted is Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. I cannot seek the approval of man. If I seek the approval of man, I do not seek the approval of Christ. Listen, for you to be bold, for you to do the things that God's called you to do, you have to stop worrying about how the world sees you and start worrying about how God sees you. Dear Father, I come to you truly honored to be represented in Pooler Magazine as the best place to worship in this community.
But Lord, knowing that that comes with a responsibility and a task that's set before us, Lord, that we would genuinely seek to reflect you in the proper way. Lord, that we would teach the scriptures, that we would be bold, that we would deal with conflict in the right way. Lord, that we would pray, that we would practice the ordinances. Father, that we would just be the reflection that we need to be. Father, may this be a tool that we use to reach the people that are around us. For those that don't know that we attend, maybe it's just a simple, hey, have you read about our church? It's in the Pooler Magazine, page 20, page 21. That's who we are. Father, more importantly, that our hearts would be burdened, that the conviction of our heart would be that person that is around us that doesn't know you. Lord, we know who they are. Lord, give us the boldness and the willingness to share your love with them. Father, may everything that we do bring glory and honor to you. In Christ's precious and name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand. As the guys sing this last song, maybe the Lord is stirred and maybe there's one of those ten things that's laid out that you just don't measure up in. I would tell you that this altar is open to you, that this is the place to do business with God and say, God, I need to grow in this area. I need to spend time. I need to be accountable. I need to be working towards this. This altar is open to you at this time.